Well, if you would, please turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 24. And so as we come to this final chapter in Luke, and we come to the story of the resurrection in the first Easter morning, it reminds me of a common question, one that I'm sure you've been asked. Um, I was just asked it by my son in the last week or so. What is your favorite holiday? And while there are special traditions and sentiments and memories that go along with other holidays, as I get older and the gospel, that is the good news of Jesus and his life and his death and his burial and resurrection, grow in me, the joy of Easter also grows in my heart and becomes greater. But this is not the case for many. Many come to Easter morning, and Easter becomes nothing more than a commercialized day of fairy tales. Professor and staunch atheist Richard Dawkins puts it this way, Presumably, what happened to Jesus was what happens to all of us when we die. We decompose. Accounts of Jesus' resurrection and ascension are about as well documented as Jack and the Beanstalk. And so most people equate the resurrection of Jesus to mere fairy tale. This worldview of the resurrection and our life and death shared by so many leave us with no hope and stand in stark contrast to the message of the Bible. I believe this is why Luke wrote back in chapter 1, if you remember, in verses 1 through 4, Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. Two thousand years later, the resurrection still preaches the God's relentless commitment to win every victory for us. The hope of the resurrection has always been at the heart of the believer's faith. This hope is what we see highlighted in our passage. Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but he has risen. So with joy, confidence, and hope, let's read. We'll go back to chapter 23 and verse number 53. Then he took it down and wrapped it in a linen shroud and laid him in a tomb cut in stone where no one had ever yet been laid. It was the day of preparation and the Sabbath was beginning. The women who had come with him from Galilee, followed and saw the tomb and how his body was laid. Then they returned and prepared spices and ointments. On the Sabbath they rested according to the commandments. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared, and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in a dazzling apparel. 
And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you, while he was still in Galilee, that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and on the third day rise. And they remembered his words. And returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary the mother of James and other women with them who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in, he saw the linen cloths by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened. Let's pray. Dear God and Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit would be upon us. God, I pray that as we look at these verses of your resurrection, that we would leave today with hope, leave today with encouragement, that we serve a living Savior. God, I pray for those who may be here who've never believed. I pray that they would come, hear your word, and believe. I pray for those who believe but are doubting, who are hurting. I pray that you rem- they would remember your word. Remember the God who they serve and leave rejoicing. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. So see, last week when we came to the death of Jesus, we saw God's sovereign plan to put Jesus to death. Jesus had to die to satisfy the wrath of the Father, and his burial was the final proof. His burial was the exclamation point on the death of Jesus. It was finished. It was done. Jesus Christ had fulfilled the wrath of God and the fear of death. See, we benefit in his death because he bears our sin, but we benefit in his resurrection because we bear his life. Because Jesus went to the grave ahead of us, he can lead us out and on to eternal life. And so we see highlighted in this passage the inauguration of the new, a new beginning and a new hope for all who believe. And first, in this passage, we see the reality of the resurrection. See, almost no one debated that Jesus had died. Not in that time, or there's few who would now debate in the actuality of Jesus' death. But there are many who would debate that Jesus actually rose three days later. And the Jews, one of the prime members in this story violently refused to believe that he rose just three days later. And so is a common viewpoint of many people in society today. Many agnostics, many atheists, even many deists would believe that there's a God, but they would refuse to believe that Jesus rose from the dead. Tim Keller 
and in his defense of the resurrection, writes, If Jesus rose from the dead, then you have to accept all that he said. If he didn't rise from the dead, then why worry about any of what he said? The issue on which everything hangs is not whether or not you like his teaching, but whether or not he rose from the dead. And so we come to the reality of the resurrection is also seen from the reality of the crucifixion and his death. See, from the beginning of history, God has been working out his plan to redeem mankind. Jesus himself prophesied many times that he would rise. We see in John chapter 2, in verse 19, Jesus answered them, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. John 11, 25 and 26, after raising Lazarus from the dead, said, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? John fourteen nineteen. Yet a little while, and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. Matthew twenty forty. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Luke 9.22 Saying, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. So we see here a reliable account in the fact that we see the prophecy of Christ being fulfilled. We see the prophecy of Scripture being revealed before these. And we see in a re reliable account. Just as in his death, this story was detailed specifically in all four Gospels. Each account giving unique details from a different viewpoint of various eyewitnesses. See, this wasn't a common story that plays out in each of these passages the same way, with them all praising God and jumping up and down for joy, praising a glorious Redeemer. No, this story, this account is given from different viewpoints of sinful man people who believed and people who did not believe in a true historical count. It's interesting that one of the main counts are given is from the women's viewpoint. See, in this day and age, this would have been counterintuitive for the gospel writers to come to the gospel and speak of a risen Savior leaving the women as the main focal point for eyewitnesses of the resurrection. See, Jewish culture, Roman law, would have discredited this immediately. But yet we see that this is an event that actually happened, and these men were writing it down just as it happened. We also see in other parallel passages the eyewitnesses from the soldiers. 
These were not people who believed, but people who had fear from what they seen in the resurrection account. You can see the story in Matthew chapter 28, Mark 16, John chapter 20, and Luke 24. But they all have a common theme, the empty tomb. See, none of the Gospels describe the rising of Jesus from the dead. All accounts are absent of Jesus and the details of the resurrection. I find that interesting. And I think it will come out in, as we look at the key to our passage. But Jesus' point in his resurrection was not on the details surrounding how he rose from the dead, but that people believe his word and that he was risen from the dead. But all accounts do have these things in common. They all assign it an hour early in the morning. Every account assigns it to the first day of the week, this Lord's Day, this Sunday, this first Easter morning. It's all assigned to a time before the visit of the women in the tomb where he had been laid. This tomb where they had come just prior to this and seen their Lord and Savior put to death and laid in the ground. If you remember Paul's account in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scripture, and that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. And while there is some place for debating with non-believers, our main apologetic tool in proclaiming the resurrection is the Bible itself. Even the angels use the words of Christ to proclaim the message. Remember how we, he told you, remember the words of Christ, while he was still in Galilee, that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. And they remembered his word. Dick Lucas writes, The authentic evidence for the resurrection is the preaching of the good news of Christ crucified throughout the whole world. Christ, before his ascension in Acts 1, says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And we see, So we see the reality of the resurrection in his word. We see the reality of the resurrection in the preaching of the gospel to people like you, people in Africa, people all around the world hearing the good news of Christ's life, Christ's death, his burial and resurrection. And so, while the reality of the resurrection is important, I think it's key in these passages to look at two things. The reaction of the resurrection and the message of the resurrection 
And in Luke and in the parallel passages, we see the reaction of the resurrection from four groups of people. We see the reaction of the resurrection from, in this passage, from the women, from the disciples, mainly Peter, and the reaction of the resurrection from the angels. In parallel passages, we see the reaction of the resurrection specifically from certain women, other disciples, the Jews, and the soldiers. And it's interesting to me that the reaction of the resurrection from non-believers, these Jews and these soldiers, was one of fear and unbelief. But yet that's a common reaction of the resurrection today. Common reaction to the Bible today is fear and unbelief. And see, fear and unbelief then led to a cover story and a lie. See, the Romans, the Jewish leaders, while there was fear and unbelief, they didn't want the reality of the resurrection spreading, so they offered to pay soldiers to lie about what had happened. But in this passage detailed, we come, and most importantly, the reaction of the women. Kent Hughes reminds us that as we consider the state of the Galilean women, we must not let our knowledge of the glorious revelation that awaited them dull us to the dark sackcloth covering these women's souls. They were depressed, exhausted, mourning, with no hope whatsoever. They had just witnessed the death of their Savior. They had buried them in obedience to the commandments. They had rested on the Sabbath. How much rest they actually got on that Sabbath, I don't think we'll know, but I can't imagine there was much resting. The first reaction we see to the women in, back in chapter 23 is love early in the morning, bringing spices to anoint their Lord. Notice in verse number 3 of chapter 24, but when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. See, they had already realized that this was not just a man, but this was their Lord. And they came to lovingly honor him in burial. We also see their anxiety. In Mark, it specifically points out that they were anxious about being able to carry through with the work which they had started. See, on their way to the tomb, we find them worrying about how they're going to roll away the stone. Who's going to roll away the stone? And there was anxiety. The resurrection had brought them anxiety. And so, They obviously had not heard about the Roman guards in front of the stone. They had obviously not heard about the seal that was set, but they were worried about how they were going to lovingly anoint Jesus' body with spices. And we come to our passage in verse number 4. While they were perplexed, they were perplexed, they were confused. The stone had been rolled away, Jesus was not there. 
And we see in other passages, Mary coming early in the morning. See, these women had gathered before the Sabbath. They had made a plan that they were going to come back and anoint the body. And so they had gotten up very, very early. Passages says it's like what would be to us the crack of dawn. Different accounts give it different times in the morning. But it was still dark. The sun was rising from different perspectives. There's a little bit of light. And Mary jumps to the first conclusion when she sees the empty tomb. that Someone has stolen the body of their Lord. And she runs off. She has to tell someone. And they're confused. And then we see in this passage they're frightened. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground. See, the reality of the resurrection, the message of angels, is something throughout history that has caused fear. But notice that fear is short-lived in the reality and message of the resurrection. We see in this moment the reaction of the angels and the change of the women's heart. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered in the hands of sinful men and be crucified. And on the third day, rise. And they remembered his words. See, the reaction of the angels was not one of dismay or fear. They were sent by God as messengers to help the women believe, to remember God's word of what he had already told in Scripture, that he would rise from the dead. See, in the angels, we see the reaction of evangelism. In the angels, we are given heavenly instruction on how to share the gospel. They immediately tell the women to remember God's word on what he said about his death, burial, and resurrection. And the women's response was immediately to believe. They remembered. But not only did they remember this belief in the resurrection requires a response. They didn't just remember God's word and sit on it. They immediately went out and had to tell people. In verse number 8, And they remembered his word, and returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James, and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. So they went out, and with passion, they wanted to tell other people, other people who had heard the same words that they had heard about the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. These disciples who had sat at the feet of Jesus, they ran to them to tell them about their belief. But then the reaction of the disciples, we see the opposite end of the spectrum. 
the initial reaction of the disciples is one of unbelief. Verse number 11, But these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in. He saw the linen cloths by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened. One can't be be but amazed at the just denseness of the disciples. They had sat under the teaching of Jesus. Think about it. Think about how many times Jesus had specifically told them that he was going to die, he was going to be buried, he was going to rise from the dead, and yet they didn't believe. But how many times in God's word does he tell us to follow his commands? Does he tell us not to worry, to be at peace, and yet things don't go our way? And we run like the disciples. We run and hide. We pout because things don't go our way. And we doubt that God cares. We doubt his gloriousness. We doubt his greatness. And we doubt his grace. See, these disciples equated the women's testimony, their evangelism to them, as wild talk of the delirious. See, Luke uses a specific word here in medical terms. This word of idle talk in the Greek is this idea of deliriousness. Almost this idea of these women were crazy. They had gone mad. The stress of everything that had happened had caused them to finally break. And this tale that they were telling them was complete nonsense. There was not a sense of belief in them. This was just pure hysteria. But then we see Peter, in typical Peter fashion, this man who said he would not deny Christ, and yet he runs away. This man who was willing to walk on water towards Christ. This man that would step out with great insight, but then Jesus would turn and say, get behind me, Satan. We see him, but Peter rose and ran to the tomb. This idea of even though this is crazy, he began to remember God's word. And he would go and he had to look for himself to see what was happening. But see, Peter didn't leave believing. He left amazed and in wonder. We see that this sight produced in Peter confusion, wonder. We see in the book of John that in John it started to be, begin to produce belief. See, Peter was miles away from Easter morning faith that we share. Faith that would, be te- that would lead him to preach so boldly in Acts chapter 2, the message of Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. See, the resurrection is a powerful message to the world. It can produce many reactions, many emotions. But the announcement of the resurrection is not a message that we can sit on. It's a springboard to action. No one can sit on the message of the resurrection 
You're required to react. You're required to do something. So either you can turn and deny the resurrection or you can believe. And in believing, you can preach his gospel to the world, to the people across the street, to the people across the world. And we see this in the power of the message of the resurrection in these verses. The death of Jesus looked like the single greatest defeat God's people had ever experienced. And set, instead of ascending to a throne and conquering his enemies, the promised king had been humiliated and crucified. But at the precise moment when it looked like evil had won, God was wielding every ounce of wickedness to accomplish his greatest victory. And so we see the resurrection as a message that gives the believer and the non-believer alike four things. The resurrection is a message that gives the most glorious joy. N.T. Wright, in his defense of the resurrection in Christianity, writes, The resurrection completes the inauguration of God's kingdom. It is the decisive event demonstrating that God's kingdom really has been launched on earth as it is in heaven. The message of Easter is that God's new world has been unveiled in Jesus Christ and that you are now invited to belong in it. That is the beauty, the joy of the message of the resurrection no longer are we far off away from God, but Jesus in dying, satisfying the wrath of God, has allowed us to be brought in. We now are invited to belong to it. It is a promise that we will miss nothing in Jesus Christ. And so the, the message of the resurrection also gives us the most glorious victory. Jesus rose to prove that he had defeated death. Until he rose, death seemed to swallow up every ounce of life and hope for everyone. Romans talks about the wages of sin is death and there is none righteous. So how could sinners have any hope of escaping death? But in the resurrection and this glorious victory, we can cry out with Paul in 1 Corinthians, O oh, death, where is your sting? O oh, death, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord and Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the, the Lord your labor is not in vain." The message of the resurrection not only gives us joy and victory, the message of the resurrection gives us the most glorious faith. Colossians 1, 18 through 20. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent, for in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. 
we see here that the resurrection is a giant receipt stamped across history for all people to see that you can know for certain if you believe in Jesus Christ and have faith in this glorious resurrection. And lastly, we see that the message of the resurrection gives us the most glorious hope. See, if Christ did not rise from the dead, hope would have lain next to him in the grave. But he is not dead, and therefore we have hope. Jesus rose to prove he would eventually return and make all things right. Our hope is alive in Jesus. Just as Jesus is no longer in the grave, that he is risen and he's alive and making intercession for us, we serve the living one, a resurrected Savior. Spurgeon eloquently wrote, and it's a long quote, but I think it's beautiful, and so I'll read it. The amazing news, speaking of the resurrection, which these good women received, He is not here, but he is risen. This was amazing news to his enemies. They said, we have killed him. We have put him in the tomb. It is all over with him. Aha, scribe, Pharisee, priest, what have you done? Your work is all undone, for he is risen. It was amazing news for Satan. He no doubt dreamed that he had destroyed the Savior, but he is risen. What a thrill went through all the regions of hell. What news it was for the grave. Now was it utterly destroyed, and death had lost his sting. What news it was for trembling saints. He is indeed risen. They plucked up courage, and they said, The good cause is the right one still, and it will conquer, for our Christ is still alive at its head. It was good news for sinners. It is good news for every sinner here. Christ is alive. If you seek him, he will be found of you. He is not a dead Christ to whom I point to today. He is risen, and he is able to save to the uttermost them that come unto God by him. Believer, non-believer, we come to the reality of the resurrection, the reaction of the resurrection. We look at the message of the resurrection. It should bring joy. It should bring victory. It should bring faith. And it should bring hope. Therefore, brothers and sisters, remember his words. Believe his words. Run to him with faith, joy, and hope, because he has won the victory for us. We do not remember and follow a man decomposed in a grave. So we can cry out to the world around us like Job did, for I know that my Redeemer lives, and at the last he will stand upon the earth, and after my skin has been thus destroyed, yet in my flesh I shall see God. We serve a living Savior who will one day come to judge the living and the dead. He is risen.
risen indeed. Let's pray. Dear God and Father, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for your message of the empty tomb. We thank you for your message that you did not leave it there, but you show us a resurrected Savior, one that has called us to proclaim your message to the people across the street and the people across the world. Help us to remember your words. Help us to run to you with faith, joy, and hope because you have won the victory for us. God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would be among us. I pray for those who do not believe. I pray that you would hear his words, remember his words, and believe. God, I pray for my brothers and sisters who are struggling through trials, who seem like this world has beaten them down. God, I pray that you would help them remember your words, help them remember that you, you fight on their behalf. Help them to be refreshed. It's in your name we pray. Amen.